Hey guys, this interview is really special. You're about to hear the story of a man's quest to connect with his son through time and space, a son who was in a coma for 22 days. This very unique human being had been in a near-death experience himself when he was a younger person, and he knew that there was this space in between death and dying of the physical body and, and moving on. So he connects to his son who he knew was in that space and asked him to give him instructions as to what to do. You're not going to believe this story. It's incredible. Hey guys, studies are showing that 68% of people that watch podcasts regularly don't click the subscribe button. Do me a huge favor. If you like this content, click subscribe so other people know where to go for the cool stuff. Thank you. Welcome to Next Level Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Perry. For 25 years, I've helped professionals, first responders, celebrities, Olympians, teachers, moms, dads, and people just like you achieve their results better and faster than they thought possible. This is where measurable modern science meets the quantum. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive right in. Hey everybody, welcome to Next Level Healing. Uh, we have an amazing story to share with you today. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Perry. Remember, if you like the show and find value from the content, please click subscribe and shoot us a comment. I am here with Philip Stone. I met Philip at a Dr. Joe Dispenza event, and when I heard his story, I really wanted to share it with you guys because it's so inspiring um, so unusual, and um, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Um, so, Philip, what what uh, what occurred uh, in you guys's life that um, began this amazing adventure? Um, well, the event that that happened was, <clears throat> excuse me, Logan went into the hospital um, September eighteenth of twenty. 2020? 2020, 2021. 2021. And uh, he had uh, experienced what they call a, an uh, anoxic shock, which is a lack of oxygen to his brain. And uh, um, I'm living in Nashville, Tennessee now. My uh, ex-wife is in Los Angeles and Logan was in San Diego. And I got a call um, that he had been admitted to the hospital in grave condition and... Uh, and that began the, the journey that we're going to talk about today. And uh, boy, when I heard it, for, it's if this was a Hollywood movie, you'd reject the script because you'd think, now nah, that can't happen. <laughs> and we're so glad it did because it truly is a miracle. And, and we're so, so grateful. So can you just kind of walk us through the story? Um, I mean, first of all, I can't imagine being a father getting that information. What was it like to really... Um, understand the gravity of his situation. Um, it was, it was frightening. You know, you that's the worst news you could get about your child being other than being gone completely. About that, they're in a hospital in ICU in a coma, and uh, I had to fly to you know San Diego and find out what was going on. So, um. You know, when I got to the hospital, this was during COVID, so there was only, they weren't allowing a lot of people into the hospital because Logan was in an ICU. Very difficult time to be hospitalized. Yeah. And uh, so it was, you know, either myself or his mom could be in the room at one time and they would only allow us a couple hours at a time, which made it even more difficult. And, uh, you know, Logan, um, he was in critical critical shape. He, he was uh, on a respirator and intubated and, and uh, not responsive at all. And what happened next? Um, it was kind of an interesting, the way it all developed because of my own life experiences and my work with uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza and Mind Valley and other, you know, non-traditional medical uh, uh, people, they, 
Uh, I went in and I met with the neurologist who was attending him at that time, and he, um, they wanted to do an MRI and see what was going on with him, and and you know, but it's just heartbreaking to see your uh, um, child in that condition in the hospital, yeah. and and your and the medical establishment is not really well equipped to deal with sick people, to be honest with you, in my opinion, but, uh, um, emotionally or physically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it was really odd. They were being locked out and you can't be with them. And, and, um, but it was the, it was uh, interesting in the way all of his friends came and how much support and, um, outpouring love towards him. Yeah. Oh, I know this means a lot to you. Yeah. So, Logan, you had a, a tremendous um, tribe of people that apparently made you rather well known at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah all of his friends were, uh, you know, or a lot of his friends were there every day. There's probably 10 or 12 young people. They're all in their 20s. Um, they came from L.A. or San Diego or wherever they happened to be. And, and they kind of took over the outside seating area i think it, i think part of what made him famous was that's where the nurses usually took their breaks and so there was a lot of the seating got taken up by this group of um, uh, young people um and so logan how does it feel to know so many people care about you pretty awesome <laughs> yeah yeah um and um, so uh, what happened next? I mean, this is amazing that this many people showed up day after day after day um, when you couldn't even go into the room. Right. Yeah. Yeah. None of them. No, nobody to talk to because Logan was not responsive. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a, a you know, after the, 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 you know, I, because of my experience with the near death experience and working with, like I said, Dr. Joe and, and, um, I had a conversation with a neurologist and kind of let him know, you know, I'm not the the dad that's going to like assume every single movement means something that I'm going to be very objective and because uh, uh, I want what's best, I want the best outcome for Logan. And uh, so we got the first MRI and it was, it was terrible, you know, um, the pretty much the entire uh all of his white matter, which communicate, which is your, how your brain communicates. The gray matter is the core where all your memories and information are stored. And then the white matter is your neural network that all the information moves around in your brain, your memories, your body movement, all of that. And it was, it was all white, which means it's all dead. And, uh, um, you know, the neurologist said this, you know, this is, that he explained that to me. I didn't know what that meant until he explained what that was going on. And, and, uh, but he was willing to give it two more MRIs over a course of a couple of weeks to see if there was any improvement or change. And, uh, and, you know, during, in between each, it was about five days or so in between each of the MRIs, you know, either myself or Michelle would be with Logan trying to get him to respond in some meaningful way. And, uh, and for the first couple of weeks, there was little, if anything going on. He was, he, it felt like at times there was some, what they call purposeful movement. Like he was trying to, he was restrained. So he didn't have a, a spastic movement where he would tear out an IV or, pull out something uh so but it, there was a few times it seemed to me like he was trying to move in a purposeful way but uh it wasn't enough for anybody in the hospital to respond and i think they thought just no this is the typical parent wanting his child and i recall that you told me something about um when you realized that uh or somewhere in the conversation it came up that he was heavily sedated yes it was uh you know, I, you what, you know, I was trying to get Logan to do something meaningful, you know, where I could go here, where it was a response to 
a request mm-hmm. where I could ask him to do something for me. But knowing how injured he was, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you don't ask somebody who's been in a massive car crash to like curl a, a 25 pound dumbbell to show, show you that they're okay. Or somebody who's asleep to go to the kitchen and get you a cup yeah, of coffee. <laughs> yeah. So someone with a traumatic brain injury, everything is cha- a huge thing. Everything's a huge challenge. So I was just trying to get him to move his eyes. He opened his eyes um, several days after we were there, probably three or three or four days. But they were fixed. They weren't, you know, they weren't tracking anything. He wasn't watching anybody in the room like a nurse or anyone coming and going. He didn't move to a voice. He, uh, he wasn't responding in any of those ways. Um, and and how many days total was he in the hospital? He was in the ICU. Uh, I don't want to jump to the end of the story, but he was in the ICU for 22 days. That's an ungodly amount of time. Yeah, they usually they figure if you haven't, if something hasn't happened in the first like three days, mm-hmm. there's little chance of anything ever happening. Yeah, I I actually was in a coma for five days, and that's a whole yeah. other story. But yeah. to come out of that is uh, really close to an amazing miracle. And yeah. your son's situation is. Beyond a miracle. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, it, it was, he, there, there was just little, if any, response of, or any kind of indication that he was doing better. And after the second MRI, which I looked at with the, with the doctor, with the neurologist, and, we, you know, he was like, well, there's nothing here. But I was like, I'm not seeing nothing, but I'm not seeing much, but I'm not seeing nothing, you know. And describe, you You said you have some kind of background with recognizing patterns. Yeah, I'm I'm almost a little OCD, you know, that things need to be in a very specific order or organization. It's just something inside of me responds. And I have a, a pattern recognition where I can tell if something's not the same, if, even a very minor or slight variant variation and to me i noticed a couple of little changes in the spinal cord and a couple other changes in the overall mass of um, the image of his brain and uh and which gave me a little bit of hope you know uh, that maybe however minor that is that change is good you know some variations and you had had the experience of a near-death experience yourself. Right. Do you want to touch on that and, and just give us a, an insight as to how you used that to um, inform your communication with your son? Yeah, I've, uh, um, I've been sober like almost 42 years now. And so I have a lot of experience with people that have had, you know, bad diagnosis that have recovered. And for me, I was 19 years old when I had a near-death experience, an out-of-body experience where I could see myself, my own body uh, basically below me. And, um, and I, and I hadn't really thought about it till much that much in my younger years, but in my fifties, I started kind of recognizing that th- that was a really big thing, you know, it wasn't just a little thing. It was a really big thing. And I recalled that my, my being, I was totally fine. You know, I was observing my body, which was lifeless, emotionless, but in me, there was no fear. There was no anger. There was no upset. There was no, I just felt okay. Like everything was fine. And, and it was just an, and I was just observing what was going on that, that, that my, my consciousness was separate from my body, that it existed beyond my body, you know? And so while Logan was in bed, I would talk to him as if he was still in the room and could hear me, but not necessarily in his body in the room, the, his presence. I could feel his consciousness. And Logan, you, you, when you woke up, uh, did you, do you have any recollection of that experience? I mean, some people do, some people don't. 
I didn't have any recollection of him talking to me. I just had just crazy dreams the entire time I was out. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Any particular um, uh, mood or characteristic about the dreams? Um, I was pretty happy the entire time. Really? I wasn't really worried at any point. Yeah. You were just having crazy kind of good dreams, huh? Yeah. They were, they were pretty much, they were, I was just kind of like exploring in my dream world, kind of. Really? Yeah. I, I think I was seeing stuff in the hospital that would trigger those dreams a little bit, but I didn't realize that I was seeing things. Like one of them I had like, uh, well, it was in October that I was there. So I remember having like a dream of me being in like a haunted house kind of thing. But I just remember that from... Just the, the dream, yeah. So it's unusual um, for a lot of us to remember our dreams. You know, we wake up and we sort of remember them on waking, but we don't remember them much past that unless we write them down. Yeah. Um, but you had 22 days of dreaming. Yeah. How many dreams do you remember? I mean, I wrote down a good, a good bunch of them. And did you write them down fairly soon after the experience or did you take um, a week or two or three or longer? Uh, pretty recently after the injury, but um, I think once I moved home is when I started to really write them down. Uh, so that, that's several weeks after I was out of the hospital. Um, yeah, but it was just after I was out, out of the hospital. That, oh, and I, that? I, I started to remember more of them as I, w as I was just sleep, going to sleep or um, just thinking about dreaming more. Interesting, because a common characteristic of NDEs is that when people are outside their body, they do have quite a vivid recollection and often something that stays with them over time, um, something that informed them or inspired them. Or um, do, do you, when you when you came back, um, do you feel like that experience that you had in that dream state, did it did it shift your awareness about anything? I'm not sure. Okay, interesting. So that's a really cool question. So um, MRIs are coming in. Uh, what yeah, so the second MRI came in, and then then uh, they did a third MRI, and the prognosis. Well, actually, a little backtrack. Logan had met someone who was a neurologist on a vacation in Costa Rica. It was a, a friend of uh, some the people that Logan had gone to Costa Rica with. And he had requested to look at the MRI as well for like an outside, because two, uh, two neurologists at uh, Scripps at, in La Jolla, where, they, where he was, had examined it, the MRIs. And the, this other doctor, they were gracious enough uh, to let him look at them. And they all came up with the same prognosis that Logan was gone. You know, that they, he wouldn't be coming back. Oh God, I can hear your tears rolling up just talking about that. And at what point did you have that conversation, knowing that he was, you know, potentially somewhere within awareness range? Well, Logan was a, Logan on his license was an organ donor. So very early on, like within a day or two of my, his mom and me arriving, they wanted us to fill out that paperwork to get that process going. And, uh, and we signed, we filled out the necessary documents, but there was one where we had to, you know, say, okay, he's gone and we're giving up and you can have him. And I just wasn't okay signing that. I just I just felt like there needed to be some time, and uh, so we put them off. And then about it was close to three weeks. It was close to three weeks. I would say seventeen, eighteen days in. The third MRI came out, and they didn't feel like there was any. They didn't show that one to me, surprisingly enough. But they they were basically said he's not coming back he's going to be in a vegetative state or severely mentally disabled if he does recover at all he won't have any meaningful life uh and uh and they will gave us a so a tuesday um i think it was like the 18th 
or 19th of October. Um, well, it had to be sooner than that because it was 20 days and he had been in. So maybe around the 8th or, or they said, well, you have to make a decision next week and say, scheduled a meeting for us on a Tuesday. And, uh, and this is where like some other stuff happened with, you know, I, because of what we were being told, I just wasn't okay with it. So I went on the internet and to my, you know, on my social media platform and, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, at Coheal International, which is a Joe Dispenza, uh, or group and asked for prayers and energy and allowed to be sent to Logan to help him recover. And, uh, and that was very interesting. And Nancy Canyon, who was with Coheal International, got back to me and said they had a spot on the Friday evening that they would put Logan in that, uh, request. And, um, uh, and that, and they did that and they said there was like 50 meditators really like expert meditators that were on that uh zoom call and wow you brought a lot of they brought in a lot of yeah they brought there was it was interesting because there was somebody had dropped out and so this spot became available it was all very uh you know Fortuitous. Yeah, fortuitous. Serendipity. Yeah, yes. And, and the universe working yeah. on Logan's yeah. yeah, they were, uh, you know, and... So so just so our listeners understand, uh, Coheal International is a free um, service where um, if you put in your name and say what it is that you need, um, people will, will go into coherence, meaning advanced meditators will drop into this measurable state where when they put their attention on you, it helps your um, wholeness, your whole body, your whole state, your whole being uh, correct uh, its coherence. Did I say that well? Yeah. I think and, and this is just an unusually large group um, that you were lucky enough to drop into. Yeah. And you also included Logan's friends in on this. Yeah, what happened was the the the... Nancy arranged it and all of Logan's friends were all very excited about it. And we set it up as a computer and outside of La Jolla at the hospital and uh, at Scripps and that nurse's break area. And everyone participated, all his uh, friends that were there. Was probably I, I want to do a little time out here because what led you to do the Coheal experience was asking him... Can you describe when you connected with him and asked him if he... I, I, you know, I had talked to Logan, you know, and just as a conver in conversation, uh, because of my experience with my out-of-body near-death experience, and I was speaking to him like he was in the room, and I, and I told him, I said, I understand where you're at could be really comfortable and peaceful and... And, you know, there is no problems there. You're just fine and everything is good and, and there's no anxiety. And But if you want to come back, we'd love to have you back, you know. And, uh, it, you know, and it was up to him. And, you know, and not, you asked uh, him to show you something, though, to give, yeah, you, a, and to so, give you a sign. Yeah, so I, you know, I asked him to, uh, you know, if he's if he's there and he can hear me, I need you to do something so I can talk, tell the doctors this is something. And uh, just asked him to, if he could move his eyes for me. And I just go, can you move your eyes left to right? And uh, And he did it you know, from left to right. And, and, and Michelle, his mom was there and I was like, did you see that? She was like, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, that was, and uh, so I said, can you do it again? And I felt like he did it again. Wow. You know, and so that was a big, that's a big deal because, it, it, you know, it, it's like, you're you're in there and you don't really have the strength to move your mass, but the eye movement and the and to be at the direction from the left to the right, I felt like he had made 
an indication. And here. somewhere along the way, you instructed the hospital staff, I believe, if I heard this correctly, that because he was heavily sedated, which was convenient for them, right. you're like, well, I wouldn't wake up either yeah. if I was Yeah, he was, on, uh, he was on Dilaudin, which is kind of a synthetic heroin. So it was like, nobody's moving. Nobody's responding if you're... And you're strapped down and you got a yeah. tube in your throat. And so I asked them if they could give him something that wasn't affecting him from the neck up, that could, that could allow his consciousness and his brain to be active and functioning. They do it because it makes them, you know, they're not going to pull anything out. They're, they're much more pliable and easy to manipulate and... and were they willing to consent to that? And yeah, the nurse, I have to say the the nursing staff was really uh, um, on board. I think they, they, you know, several of them were mothers, mm. you know, so they had their like own connection. And, um, and I think they were really rooting for him. You know, they really wanted something to happen for him. So. Um, they, they did that. They, they withdrew that dilat and, and, uh, and I think that started to make it where he could come back, that he, his consciousness could activate his brain, you know, that there was some physical thing. I wish they, I wish they had kept him around for one more MRI after he came mm. to to see what the change mm. was, but they didn't do that, which mm. is kind of surprising to me, but not surprising. So you have 50 people on this call. How long did the yeah. call last? The call was just about an hour. Um, yeah. And then we did a second one at that point. Uh, that was a Friday evening. And then the Monday morning, we Nancy got him re-listed again and that's the one where all the kids were on board we were all at the hospital everybody was together there was a zoom call and right after that happened um i think michelle was in the room with logan and uh we had a laptop set up out in the where everybody could see him that and the kids were talking to them. They were all on camera and looking in and Logan's face was on and they were kind of teasing him and joking with him and something about golf. And, uh, and he choked, you know, he like had this choking, uh, almost like he was trying to laugh. Yeah. And one of the guys goes that he's laughing. That was a laugh. So Anthony, I think was the one who said that he was laughing. That's Logan. And, you know? and this was the second quantum healing this experience. Was, yeah. This was like two days after the, the first one was on a Friday, and this one was the Monday before we were supposed to decide what to do with them. Right. And, uh, and this was a Monday morning, and he had had the little eye movement over the weekend, mm -hmm. and then he had this go on on the Monday. So it all corresponded to the, the co-healing mm -hmm. and a lot of prayers from people that mm -hmm. we know. And, and we had, like, the, the co-heal international was actually the person that was the leader of that or uh, meditation was actually in Europe. He wasn't even in the United States. And, uh, and then we had other friends that were in like London that organized prayer groups. And so there was all this energy globally mm -hmm. directed towards Logan, mm -hmm. which I think really is, a, you know, a curiosity if not phenomenal, you know, the, the, the energetic field, has as much to do with our physicality as the medical field. And there yeah. seems to be a lot of evidence yeah. mounting up yeah. about this. Yeah. So you did the second uh, healing session. We did the second healing on the Monday and the Tuesday we were supposed to go in that afternoon uh, to decide whether to keep him on life support or withdraw it because the hospital had basically given up and they said he is not... Um, we can't do anything. We can't help him. There's nothing we can do, nothing more we can do. Uh, and uh, so you need to decide how long you want to keep him alive. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and they didn't say there was any possibility he was coming. No, they basically said it's, we're, we're calling this over. Okay. You know, that, that there is no hope for him. And uh, 
So that was supposed to happen on a Tuesday. And I went into his room on Tuesday um, morning and there was a, a nurse in there, Alicia. And she, and she, you know, oh, you must be Phil. You've got Logan's dad. And I'm like, yeah. So they were all talking about us and, and knew about Logan. And I, yeah. And, and, and she was like, well, you know, I feel like Logan responded to me. And she's like, hey, hey, you know, like it kind of shocked me a little bit, you know, trying to get Logan to respond. Mm. And, uh, and uh, she goes, you mind if I go get the head of critical care to take a look at him? And I'm like, please you know, do. And so I was there with Logan and we talked a little bit and he's really not responding much. And, and, uh, but the doctor comes in and he goes, hi, I'm, you know, Dr. Smith, I'm in charge of the critical care. And he goes, why is he got the, why is he intubated? And I'm, or why is he on a respirator? And, and I'm like, well, I don't know because he was over breathing the machine already when they withdraw it, he mm. breathes. Yeah. Oh. And uh, they had talked about if they were going to take it out, they wanted to do a tracheostomy on him before they took it out. So, and, I'm, and he's like, well, do you mind if I just take it out? And if it, if he doesn't breathe, we can always. Now he'd been in the hospital for 22 days. Had he, had he been intubated the whole time? Yeah. And they, and when I went in there, the doctor, the neurologist, first one uh, had told me, he said, we really don't like to keep um, intubated more than 14 it's days. Rough on the throat. It's really harsh on their, you know, vocal cords and the throat. And, and so when this doctor came and said, could I take it out? I'm like, yeah, I you know, I don't, I thought it was supposed to come out like a week ago. Mm. Um, and he's like, well, let's see what happens. So they got their respiratory therapist in and she removed it and he was breathing fine and he looked way better because he had all this tape on his uh, face and the tube very down the throat. Tape down the throat. So he looked a lot better. And uh, the doctor knew I was supposed to have this meeting and he goes, well, I know you only got about 15 minutes before the meeting, so I'm going to let you have some time with Logan. And, uh, and so at that point, I got a... Got my phone out and uh, had FaceTime with his mom and and I uh, held the phone up in in front of his face. I hey look, he got his breathing tube out and look how great he looks. And I said, hey Logan, I got your your mom on the phone and and uh, um, I said, hey, can you can you say hi to your mom? And he goes, hi mom. Yeah, uh, and it was like uh, both Michelle and I were shocked. You know, we were, you know, thrilled and shocked. And it was just, you know, when I asked him, did, I was like, did you hear that? Am I like, Collusive. and I'm like, can you say that? Can you do that again? And he goes, I'm, you know, and, uh, you know, after three weeks of thinking you're going to lose your child. Logan, what was that like for you? Honestly, I can't remember much about it, but. I know it was awesome when I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> you remember waking up? No, I don't remember waking up. Wow. You don't remember that hello, mom. That's so... I remember that's... I remember saying something to my mom. I think I cussed at her when I woke up or something like that. Uh, but as, as a joke, but... Yeah, I yeah. think you did her at one point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just to get her going. Yeah. yeah. And could you see your mo mother's reaction to your first words after... 22 days in the hospital in a coma. I can't remember it. You can't remember it, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and and so obviously everyone was thrilled and, and I think the hospital was stunned. You know, they were, I think they were embarrassed. To be I, honest. They should be. <laughs> you know, uh, and worried, you know, and worried that someone might sue them. So I think they just wanted to get Logan gone at that point. Um but it was phenomenal, you know, his, you know, when you have three different neurologists from local hospitals all saying there's, you know, he's not going to be anything but in a vegetative state or like severely mentally disabled in a wheelchair, or, you know, that, you know, and that's, you don't want that life for your child. And so... To have that big of a turnaround is, you know, we were just in shock, you know, and he, uh, Logan uh, was 25 at the time and he turned 26 in the, uh, 
in the hospital. And that was the first time they let him out of the hospital because of the COVID protocols and all that. They let us wheel him down to the area where all his friends had been staying. And there was probably, you know, 30 people there to, you know, wish him a happy birthday. Do you remember that, Logan? Yeah. What's your earliest memory um, coming out of it? What, what, what do you remember? I think that my birthday, just rolling down the hallway, going down to, uh, going down the elevator and then going outside and seeing all and my friends there. At what point did you comprehend what had happened to you? Was, I think I knew pretty much right away. Interesting. Did you realize how bad it was or how close you were to death? No, I don't think so. What, what it, describe the looks on your friends' faces. I mean, it's, it's miraculous that they showed up day after day after day after day when everybody was saying, you know, he's gone. There's no hope. He's not coming back. There's nothing there. Yeah. His brain, his brain is gone. I mean, there's, uh, there's always the thing when, when you're a kid is like, what would my friends do if I died? Like, where would they be? And then I got a actual trial run at that. So, so I know that they love me and it's awesome just to see that, but, um, would like to not do that to to them again anytime soon. (laughs) That's so interesting. That's so interesting. I I was also in a coma for five days when I was young and I have no recollection. It's like, it didn't happen to me. Yeah. And I was just calling friends of mine and saying, you know, hey, do you remember this? Because to me, I thought I was out for a few days and I came back to school. And she says, no, you were out for like a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that was a miracle. That was five days. And I, I, I looked up the statistics once. And if you're in a coma for five days, it's unlikely you're going to come back and certainly not come back normal. And to right. come back from a coma from 22 days is unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how many people in the United States have ever or in the world have ever done that? I have no idea. I think it's a really, really very rare occurrence, you know. Uh, And I think most people that do recover after that period of time are severely, you know, injured or have uh, trauma that they're going to deal with. Yeah. In my situation, there was also an odd spiritual thing. A a cloud formed in the room. and My mother saw it. Nobody else saw it, but she knew that thing was there to help me. Um, And she was confident I was going to wake up okay, even though the doctor said, oh yeah, without a doubt, she's going to be brain damaged. Yeah. We had a lot of, uh, you know, a a lot of spirituality from all kinds of, you know, Christian friends and Dr. Joe and spiritual just so much love and energy directed towards Logan's well-being and uh, and towards mine and Michelle's as well, you know, too. So, and I think that... What do you want to say to all those people? It yeah, seems like you're just overwhelming with yeah, gratitude right now. Yeah, it's so... Um, you know, I think we don't realize... You know, I was talking with Judith about it last, my wife was talking with Judith about it last night, is that we don't realize how powerful we are. Uh, But at times I, I, you know, I felt like in Logan's room with just him and me, where I don't have the outside world looking, I could be that person. I could be that that this is, if you want this, it's yours. You know, you can have this. And talk, just talking to him, like I'm talking to you now, just uh, that we are way more powerful and have way more to give, but we've been kind of told you're a dreamer and that's fantasy and that's not real. And culturally, it's to stand up in that way it's almost embarrassing. You know, you don't want to be arrogant or uh, prideful or bragging that you can do these things. And so there's this real battle that goes on between our perceptions and our realities and our self-image and what we project to the world. And and, uh, I have to say that 
because my emotions were so strong. And I think that that's really when um, we can access. And how would you describe that emotion? How would you describe that mental state? Um, it was it was really interesting because it was. Uh, I mean, having experienced a near death experience I, yourself, I, you 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 knew that we were more than this physical body. Yeah, I would call it the I I call it the a knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. where where it's just you know. Yeah, you know, it's not like you think or believe. You know. Yeah, you know that there's. You've had the experience, you've seen what happens, and you know. You know, you can't you can't necessarily give it to someone else. They have to know it. Mm, so they have to experience it. They have to experience it, you know. And I think you with your experience and me with mine, we have a knowing that there's way more than, you know, the physical realm that there's this spiritual and you know, and I mean, even if you just go into physics, yes. you know, the the physics says there's we're really energy. We're not really matter. Yes. We, we see ourselves as matter, but we're really energy. And surprisingly, there's so many more of these stories than most people are aware of. And in the past, people were almost afraid to say anything about it. Right. And I that's kind of where I feel like we... Like my experience with Logan in the hospital, I don't, you're the first, this is the first time I've really talked about it other than with Judith. And, uh, you know, you don't, it's not something you'd tell people, you know, it's just, it's because it's like this embarrassed, you're almost embarrassed that you have this. I believe these crazy things, even though science totally supports it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like a weird, you know, uh, oh, that's your, don't be that way you know it's like where is that coming from what you're going to help me with i hope you know yeah Uh, and and for those listeners who you know are really sparked by this and want some additional support um if you listen to the mark gober interview on next level healing yeah um he puts a big red bow around all the science that's out on this topic it's the most comprehensive book i've ever read on it did you ever read it i've been listening to it online yeah but judith and i are actually listening to it fantastic no audible and um, anyway, he the the whole when once you once you kind of acknowledge that this is who we are, right. that really colors and changes everything in your life. It changes. Um, anyway, Mark Ober wrote yeah. five books on it, so yeah. I won't I won't go into all of that right now. Um, and I also want to give a little um, spoiler alert. Um, I'm interviewing Evan Alexander in two weeks. Awesome. (laughs) That'll be great. And I couldn't, I was really struck when I heard uh, Evan's story and your guys' story, because one of the huge common denominators is that the person who was not capable of having a functional brain ever again, um, had a massive support of help from their loved ones. And, um, it does indeed seem that that has, um, I mean, his case and and your Logan's case are are really extremely, extremely, extremely rare. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, like, I, you know, the thinking about it is that I, what, I think that your heart is really what's not your brain; it's mm-hmm. your heart. You know, and when your emotion and love and heart are engaged is really where the power comes from. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, they seem to say that uh, your heart is 5,000 times more electromagnetically powerful than your, in your brain. brain. Yeah. And in the work that I'm doing, um, well, and, and I'm one of many, many countless people who would say this, but if it's your brain that's getting in the way, it's, right, it's exactly. that mental chatter. It's, yeah, that, chatter, it's that thing that tells you that, um, in fact, I have another interview coming up um, with Chris Niebauer, and he wrote a book called... Um, uh, no, no self, no problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I hope I'm getting the title right. It'll be so embarrassing if I get that wrong. <laughs> but it's where um, neuropsychology um, is catching up to Buddhism. That's the 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 subtitle. But the whole theme is, you know, we give so much credence to this thinking brain of ours, mm-hmm. and and that's not where it's at. I right. mean, it's this beautiful heart emotion, and 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 we all love that. I mean, that's the most delicious thing ever on on the right. on human experience. Um, so, um, gosh, what a treat to be able to hear your story and, and yeah. how that. And Logan, and Logan, uh, you know, good tell him a little bit about, you know, what you're doing now, you know, cause it, it was, it has been a journey of, 
you know, because Logan did get out of the hospital shortly after his birthday. Uh, and so this was how many, how long ago? Uh, what are we talking? Two years now, right? Yeah, two years ago. The 28th. Okay. Yeah. And so, because um, one of his goals when he got out of the hospital to, was to walk in to Thanksgiving dinner. Mm. And so that wasn't a long period of time. That was like a month later, right? <laughs> yes. It was a, yeah, it was a month later. Yeah. And can you describe the, what was the, the experience like of, um, because, you know, when you've been offline for that long, it takes a while for your neurology to get back online. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's took, it's taken a while. It's taken probably the two full years to get me, get me completely back to where I was semi, probably like 90%. Um, but yeah, I was walking with a, a stretcher walker. And then with the cane for a bit. And then I think I walked in with the walker on Thanksgiving. Walker on Thanksgiving. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah but that was, uh, you know, and that, that's kind of, you know, two, basically two months after he's been pronounced a non-viable human by the medical profession, he's walking into Thanksgiving dinner. And what was that Thanksgiving like, uh, Logan? That Thanksgiving was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, just, just anything with my family and friends is just a blessing now. Gosh. Um, is there, is there more that you would like to add Logan? Because, uh, I, I realize you were, you were out for the count for a lot of the yeah. story, but, um, I mean, what would you like to say, add? Just a bunch of thanks to the therapist that helped me the entire way, um, for occupational therapy, physical therapy, the people that didn't give up on me. Yeah. Um, that's it. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I can also relate to that because I had another weird thing called Guillain-Barre syndrome at one point and I was oh, yeah. paralyzed from the neck down in the hospital for five days. And um, again, I just I'm really grateful for the mental state that I went into it because I manifested probably the only neurologist in Los Angeles County that told me exactly what I wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear anything other. I mean, I can't walk at this point. I can't lift myself off the floor. And uh, I, you know, just kind of connected and just prayed and said, help me out here. Cause I couldn't think of a neurologist because I knew a bunch of them and I'm like, nah, I want the guy that's going to be on my side. (laughs) And, and he was the only guy in Los Angeles that gave me the most positive (laughs) prognosis ever. Um, You know, he said, um, he said, oh, well, uh, you know, you might, uh, he says, you might need some plasma. So, you know, he knew I was a, a doctor. So he said, go check yourself into Cedars and, uh, you know, plasma, you know, yeah. I had a one third chance of my heart and breathing stopping. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. He didn't tell me that. So I fixated on what he said and I fixated on what one other guy said. And they actually charted in my hospital notes that I was in denial. No, but I was back to work in three and a half weeks. Yeah. So I applaud you guys for, you know, thinking outside the box and, you know, connecting to that beautiful soul and power that's yours. Well, part of it I left out is part of my confidence that something could happen for Logan was I had gone to a Dr. Joe retreat in Santa Fe Mm -hmm. and it was a simple uh, meditation, uh, but to focus on something that you wanted to heal, Mm -hmm. an injury. And I had a bad rotator cuff. Uh, that I couldn't hardly raise my arm. I couldn't do a chin up and, and we did this meditation and I felt like that had healed and, and, um, and it's actually completely, you know, it was certain, and I, I had already seen an orthopedic surgeon who said, Oh yeah, you got a big hole in there and it's going to require surgery. And, and, and that's, Oh, that's several years ago now. And so I felt like there was, more to the, you know, the spiritual aspect of it and the metaphysical aspect of it, then I just felt like there was, I had evidence to say that this can happen. Yeah. And when it, uh, you know, it's interesting because I I was the first acupuncture teacher at the Arthur S. Center at UCLA. Uh And we didn't convince them to allow us to, I mean, it was wonderful. It was the first time acupuncture was allowed to be used as medical care for any of the UC schools, which is a big deal. And um, we didn't go in there and convince them with data and studies. 
we treated the people that were made the decisions. Right. And once it happens to you, and once you can have the experience of that, yeah. it kind of is a game changer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you can, you know, the more the more cases like Logan's and yours, and and um, I know Doctor Joe's doing a lot of oh, research right. and data, <laughs> and it just, you know, it's kind of this weird separation of religion and science were probably close at one time and then they took this very wide separation and this big arc where they're coming back to where the spiritual aspect of science and I know science is kind of accepting that there's a consciousness that is in everything that there is one big consciousness that that animates everything and so it's it's you know, I, th I think, you know, quantum physics, I'm, I'm just kind of a voracious reader and a student. And so I love all that stuff. And me too. Total brain candy. And it came out, it worked out really good for me and Logan. Yeah. <laughs> a big thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, I wanted to chime in on there. One other thing. Um, mm, was it about Dr. Joe? Uh, um, that Santa Fe retreat or. Mm -hmm. I'm. My brain's switching. <laughs> yeah, I have those moments all the time these days. Yeah. And oh, yes, of course, the Dr. Joe quote. Um, you know, science is the modern day language of mysticism. Yes, absolutely. That's a great quote. Yeah, that's great. So it is exciting how you know they're 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 coming together and and science is actually proving what so many mystics have said over yeah. over eons. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I'm. So grateful that you guys both joined me today. Thank you for sharing your your precious, precious story. And Logan, um, so excited to see you. You're obviously a, a just a exploding with energy young man that people adore. So um, really, really grateful. Um, this all worked out this way for you. Yeah, thank and you. And we're gonna get him. We're gonna get you to a Dr. Joe event. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so much fun. You won't you won't regret yeah. it. Uh, you know, it. it what you know what it felt like to me? It's just like you're 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 if you're a balloon, it it blows you up to like eighty times, <laughs> and then and then you come back into three D, and there's kind of that wobble where you're. And they call it dispensa influenza, where you're just kind of like, oh, okay, this is okay, okay. I was there, and now I'm here. And then each time you go to these things, you you kind of expand at a different level, and your life expands at a different level. And oh my goodness, the you know just. Go on YouTube and type in Dispenza and pretty yeah. much anything. Absolutely. Um, and I'd love to see the dreams that you wrote down at some point. Yeah. I'll we'll share Talk them. about yeah. them. Yeah. Okay, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us for this amazingly special story. Um, if you uh, got value of it, please click subscribe. And we will see you on the next episode of Next Level Healing. Thank you for having us. Thank My you for pleasure. having us. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Next Level Healing. Please like, subscribe, and let us know how this helped you. How can it be even more life-changing? We love hearing from you. And if you're eager to upgrade your life, click the button here or go to consultterra.com and get your free customized GPS map. Get the coordinates for where you are now and where you wanna go. Clients consistently report it's faster and easier than they thought possible. Remember, you were meant for more, and it is available to you. See you right here next week for our next episode. <laughs>